0: Welcome to the Food Foundation's Podbites, our series of thoughts and snap analyses of news events. I'm Sarah Buzzard, and I'm the responsible investor engagement lead for the Food Foundation. Today, I'm going to talk to you about our recently released briefing that looks at how important educational and information provision interventions are as tools for improving dietary health. The briefing essentially looks at how we change behaviour. So, poor diet um, is now the biggest risk factor for death and disability globally. Four out of the five top risk factors for death and disability in the UK are now diet related. And there's been a recent rise in people reporting economic inactivity due to ill health. And this is a critical issue for society because it presents risks to the government, to businesses, to investors and to society as a whole. There are costs to the NHS and there are impacts on GDP. So, for instance, the rising levels of obesity are impacting the workforce due to increased sick leave and time off for treatment of chronic disorders that are linked to obesity. And this has significant economic losses for businesses and the wider economy as a whole. What we've seen is that much of the current political um, and media narrative around obesity is that people have free will and individuals are responsible for the choices they make. But actually, what our briefing shows is that the reality is is far more complex. So while education and information do play a part in helping to improve um, health and reduce overweight and obesity behavior is actually influenced by a wide variety of factors and lots of those are outside of an individual's control and there's actually an increasing recognition of the social and commercial determinants of health and the fact that those are much more important than a lack of knowledge or education in shaping how a person makes their their choices around food so if we look at the healthy eating messaging for example of people are aware of the five-a-day message in terms of how much fruit and veg we should be eating, and that message has been around since the early 90s. But the average intake um, of fruit and veg is stubbornly below the five-a-day recommendation with just 33% of adults and 12% of 11- to 18-year-olds actually managing to to eat those five-a-day of fruit and veg. The briefing also had a look at the the idea of um, cooking meals from from scratch because that can be a useful tool in in people navigating the less healthy food environments, but the number of uh, British people who regularly cook from scratch is actually fairly low overall. Um, And what the research shows is that lower-income groups are actually more likely to cook at least once a day than higher-income groups. Um, So suggestions that low-income groups could improve their diets by learning to cook is misplaced. And there are a number of reasons why people might not cook. So, for example, the price of home-cooked food has risen relative to the price of ready-to-eat food since the 1980s. Which means that the cost of um, convenience food is much more affordable and, therefore, you know more appealing. Um, And then the other factor is, you know, the availability of time. So people might not have enough time to prepare home cooked meals. We also looked at um, cooking and nutrition lessons in schools because. Um, compulsory uh, food and nutrition education um came into effect in the UK in two thousand and fourteen for children up to the age of fourteen. But what we have seen is that there are disparities in the the number of hours of teaching that pupils get. There's a lack of resources and support for the teaching staff, and there's kind of an inconsistent approach. Um, And all of that means that there's been little change, or in fact, in some cases, a reduction in the lesson time um, for cooking and food education. So um school-based interventions are most effective when nutrition messages and teaching are combined with kind of the structural changes around the school so what's what food is available in the dining hall um is there a kind of a hands-on sensory approach to to food education and the UK government actually recommended taking up the sort of hands-on sensory approach in um their 2022 levelling up white paper, but has just um, done a U-turn and abandoned those plans and the associated £5 million worth of funding less than two years since they made that that recommendation. So, you know, I think the message there is that if um, cooking and food education were properly implemented, they could be part of. Of an effective suite of um, policy packages and proposals, um, part of a multi pronged approach to the to improving the food system. The other uh, piece that we looked at was food labelling. So um, there's been an increase in front of pack labelling over recent years, and that's uh, more consumer friendly um, for you know imparting nutrition content information but the issue is that there's no standardized guidance for labeling schemes and also these um, the labeling schemes might not actually be um, beneficial to everybody because um, the studies have shown that women and people with higher levels of education are actually more likely to use those labels to inform their purchasing decisions so there might be limitations around food labeling. Where it's actually um, shown to be quite helpful is um, the role that food labeling can play in incentivizing companies to reformulate their products so that they have a healthier profile resulting in in fewer red traffic lights. Um, So mandatory and transparent food labeling schemes can be an effective intervention for um, industry to reformulate and change the content um, and the range of, of the foods that they offer. What we've seen is that increases in average BMI have happened really rapidly. And um, there's been an oversimplified narrative of the causes of obesity. And so suggesting that easy solutions will lead to quick and sustainable results is just not enough. The discussion has been focused on individual behaviours and perceived stereotypes, but it hasn't taken into account the, the biological, social and environmental factors that influence body weight. Um, So there are other more likely explanations for the increase in in obesity rates, such as the shifts in global food systems after the Second World War in high income countries and the increase in the supply of available calories after agricultural innovations and increased yields and the transition to more processed diets that contain higher levels of um, fat, salt and sugar. What we've seen is the environments people live in and the resources they have shape whether behaviour change is possible. Lower income groups are disproportionately more likely to have obesity and overweight compared to higher income groups, um and that suggests that the affordability and availability of healthy foods is, as well as you know other environmental barriers like fuel poverty. Um, play an important part in determining people's food choice and that it has very little to do with education. Um, What we need instead is legislation and commercial incentives that improve the food that is available and sold and which will actually also create a level playing field for food and beverage companies. Um, And shifting these incentives and these standards is the role of government. The key thing that we need is to change the social and commercial environment that people live in to make healthy and sustainable behavior changes much easier. Thank you for listening. As we head toward the next general election, the Food Foundation is calling on policymakers to recognize the importance of the food system in shaping the nation's health and wealth. Click on the link to the Food Foundation manifesto in on the show notes and make sure you subscribe to this podcast to keep up with the latest analysis on what makes healthy food matter.